Welcome to today's podcast of Daily Reflections and Reading the uh, Faith to Faith Devotionals. A little bit of Proverbs, a little bit of Psalms. Let's go ahead and read the Daily Reflections for today. I am behind one day, so we'll read the 12th and uh, 11th of our Daily Reflections book. Thank you for coming on. Let's go ahead and open up with a moment of silence followed by the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. The 12-step program has put me back together in communion with myself and with others. And give, I give back to the community by doing 12-step 12, 12 work. <clears throat> Together, as we do this, we stay sharp. Iron sharpens iron. December the 12th, Daily Reflections. A common solution. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. <clears throat> we have a way out in which we can absolutely agree and upon which can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. Alcoholic Anonymous, page 17. The most far-reaching 12-step work was the publication of our big book. Alcoholics Anonymous, few can equal that book for carrying the message. <clears throat> my, idea, my idea is to get out of myself and simply do what I can. Even if I haven't been asked to sponsor and my phone rarely rings, I am still able to do 12-step work. I get involved in brotherly and harmonious actions. At meetings, I show up early to greet people and to help set up and to share my strength, strength, and hope. I also do what I can with service work. My higher power gives me exactly what he wants me to do at any given point in my recovery. And if I let him, my willingness will bring 12-step work automatically. Okay, up. <clears throat> Let's go ahead and read the 11th. A Genuine Humility, <clears throat> December 11th. We are actually to practice a genuine humility. This is to the end that our great blessings may never spoil us, that we shall forever live in thankful contemplation of him who presides us. Uh, over us all. 12 Steps and 12 Traditions, page 192. <clears throat> Experience has taught me that my alcoholic personality tends to be grandiose. While having seemingly good intentions, I can go off on tangents in pursuit of my causes. My ego takes over and I lose sight of my primary purpose. I may even take credit for God's handiwork in my life. Such an overstated feeling of my own importance is dangerous to my sobriety and could cause great harm to AA as a whole. My safeguard, the 12 tradition, serves to keep me humble. I realize both as an individual and as a member of the fellowship that I cannot boast on my accomplishments and that God is doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. <clears throat> wonderful, wonderful readings today. And I'm Fernando Alcoholic. We are actually to practice a genuine humility. This is to the end that our great blessings may never spoil us, that we shall forever live in thankful contemplation of him 
who presides over us all. Being a member of Alcoholic Anonymous, sometimes it's work. Sometimes you, you put off your daily chores to be in a meeting seven days a week, continually going and going. Now with uh, Zoom, we got uh, more meetings on top of uh, our regular face-to-face -face meetings. Um, the point I'm making is that this roughage of AA dedication is of no comparison to the roughage of not having a program and having to live with uh, turmoil and not thinking about others. That is called a dry drunk if you're not drinking. And it's it's been my experience that this is the easier, softer way. All right. Thank you so much for listening. I'm going to read today's uh, little 24-hour book and yesterday's. Oh, I can't seem to bring it up. Uh, they want me to log in again. I purchased it a while back. And they, all right. Well, let's see if I can get it to download. That looks like it's downloading. Thank you so much. I have the twenty-four hour day from from um, Hazelton. <clears throat> I heard they have an incredible amount of daily devotions there. I haven't gone there because I think I have enough in my plate right now. Okay, we'll come back to that. Let's go ahead and start our reading with our um, our reading with uh, Faith to Faith with Kenneth Copeland and stuff. This is a training or Bible on college, a college degree of uh, uh, faith, faith to faith. All right, let's go. We have December the 11th, and then I'll move over to the 12th to spread peace this Christmas. Kenny Copeland. Our scripture for today is Luke 12, 13 to 14, and says, and suddenly there was with an angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Christmas is a very important time of year. It's a time of year when the whole world is hearing the message of the birth of Jesus. It's a time when people are tenderhearted, the perfect time to plant seeds of love in the lives of those you meet. Sometimes those seeds may just take the form of a kind word in the middle of rush hour shopping. Other times you may get the opportunity to pray and minister to someone. But whatever the situation, keep a sharp eye out for even the smallest chances to assist people. I've had some outstanding experiences giving a few dollars to someone in need. They are taking the money. I tell them when they take the money, they, I tell them, this money is from the Lord Jesus Christ. I've served him. He is the one who instructs me to help you. It's amazing how many people are ready to hear what you have to say when you say it in love. They, they're starved for someone to really care. But that someone this Christmas season 
Be that someone. Spread the word about the peace that's available in Jesus. Tell about his goodwill toward men. Who knows how many of those small seeds may one day take root and bring one more precious person into the glorious kingdom of God. Okie doke. Uh, before I go to the 12, let me go ahead and read uh, Luke chapter 2, 1 through 20. Talks about the birth of Jesus. Here we go. Luke, the book of Luke, chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the empire empire roman empire this was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of syria all returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census and because joseph was a descendant of king david he had to go to bethlehem in judea david's ancient home he traveled there from the village of nazareth in galilee he took with him mary to whom he was engaged who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to the firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign you will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to those in whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things to her in her heart and though and thought about them often. Wonderful, wonderful readings. Alrighty, let's go ahead and move over to December the 12th of Faith to Faith. Thank you. Here we go. Tune in. This is by Gloria Copeland. Tune in. 1 Corinthians 14.2 says, He that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God, for no man understand him, albeit the Spirit they speaketh mysteries. 1 Corinthians 14.2
For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. Have you ever looked around at your own life or the life of the church and wonder why it's taking the Lord so long to get things in order? If so, let me tell you something I learned a few years ago. He's not the one who's slow. We are. It's not God's fault the church still has spots and wrinkles. It's not his fault that we are not living in total victory. He's always ready. He's the great I am. We're the ones who fall short. Compare it to turning on a radio. If you don't have it turned to it to exactly the right frequency, you won't be able to hear the station. It's not the station's fault. It's sending out signals perfectly. The problem is <clears throat> we haven't tuned into it. <clears throat> That's what's happening with us. We haven't fine-tuned our spirits enough to pick up the voice of the Spirit. Oh, we pick up a few things now and then, but mostly we just fade in and out. We don't stay on God's wavelength all the time. How do we adjust our spiritual tuner? By praying in the Spirit. By praying in other tongues is the fastest, most effective method I know of to turn into God. Because instead of praying our own thoughts and plans, we're praying his. The Bible says that when we pray in tongues, we're speaking mysteries to God. In the Spirit, we're calling for parts of God's plan we don't even understand with our natural minds, but the uniqueness of the Holy Spirit, we're praying the perfect will of God. You see, God knows how to deliver His people. He knows how to turn us into a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. He has planned that we'll do it. He has a plan, and we'll tap into the plan and start releasing it into the earth by praying in the Spirit, praying according to His will and not our own. This age will draw to a close quickly if we'll all get our minds and hearts in tune with what God's doing. There will be an explosion of the power of God that will turn this world around. Start adjusting your spiritual tuner today. Spend an hour praying in other tongues Set your spirit on God's wavelength and just see how quickly the spots and wrinkles begin to disappear from you. All right. That was today's reading. <clears throat> Let's go back to a um, little 24-hour book for today, the 12th of December. A thou for the day. The clergy speak of the spiritual fellowship of the church. This is much closer to the AA way than mere group therapy. Such a fellowship is based on a common belief in God and a common effort to live a spiritual life. We try to do this in AA. We also try to get down to the real problem in each other's lives. We try to open up to each other. We have a real desire to be of service to each other. We try to go deep down in the personal lives of our members. Do I appreciate the deep personal fellowship of AA? Meditation for the day. Love and fear cannot dwell together. By their very natures, they cannot exist side by side. Fear is a very strong force, and therefore a weak and vacillating love can soon be routed by fear. But a strong love, a love that trusts in God, is surely eventually to conquer fear. The only sure way to dispel fear is to have the love of God more and more in your heart and soul. Prayer for the day. 
I pray that love will drive out the fear in my life. I pray that my fear will flee before the power of the love of God. And amen. Wonderful, wonderful. And December 11 says, AA thought for the day. Thinking of the fellowship as group therapy is a very narrow conception of the depth of the fellowship. Looking at it purely as a means of acquiring and holding sobriety, it is right as far as it goes, but it doesn't go far enough. Group therapy is directed towards the help that the individual receives from it. It is using the companionship of other alcoholics only in order to stay sober ourselves. But this is only the beginning of real AA fellowship. Do I deeply feel the true AA fellowship? Meditation for the day. Most of us have had to live through the dark part of our lives. The time of failure, the time of our lives when we were full of struggles and care, worry and remorse, when we felt deeply the tragedies of life. But with our daily surrender to a higher power comes peace and joy that makes all things new. We can now take each day as joyous sunrise gift from God to use it for Him and for other people. The night of the past is gone. This day is ours. I pray that I may take this day as a gift from God. I pray that I may thank God for this day and be glad in it. I'm Fernando Alcoholic. I pray that I stop seeking so much revelation and new stuff from God and use the stuff, the simple the stuff that He's already given me. Things like um Enjoy the sunrise, enjoy a walk, enjoy the natural scenery, and get love from there. It's a gift for God. To be fully here, fully in the now, to stay in the now is a gift from God. And to thank God for my failures, because failure and success go hand in hand. Failure, if I accept failure properly, it turns into love. And love turns into gratitude. And we got a good running automobile. And prayer for the day, I pray that I may take this day as a gift from God. I pray that I may thank God for this day and be glad in it. Beautiful, beautiful readings. All right, let's go ahead and jump to um, Proverbs uh, 11 and 12, please. If I may, thank you for listening in. And we're almost done. Proverbs 11, New Living Testament. The Lord detests the use of dishonest scales, but he delights in accurate weights. Pride leads to disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Honesty guides good people. Dishonesty destroys treacherous people. Riches won't help on the day of judgment, but right living can save you from death. The godly are directed by honesty. The wicked fall beneath their load of sin. The godliness of good people rescues them. The ambitions of treacherous people traps them. When the wicked die, their hopes die with them, for they rely on their own feeble strength. The godly are rescued from trouble, and it falls on the wicked instead. With their words, the godless destroy their friends, but knowledge will rescue the righteous. The whole city celebrates when the godly succeed. They shout for joy when the wicked die. Upright citizens are good for a city and make it prosper, but
but the talk of the wicked tears it apart. It is foolish to belittle one's neighbor. A sensible person keeps quiet. A gossip goes around telling secrets, but those who are trustworthy can keep a confidence. Without wise leadership, a nation falls. There is safety in having many advisors. There is danger in putting up security for a stranger's debt. It is safer not to guarantee another person's debt. A gracious woman gains respect, but rootless men gain only wealth. Your kindness will reward you, but your cruelty will destroy you. Evil people get rich for the moment, but the reward of the godly will last. Godly people will find life. Evil people find death. The Lord detests people with crooked hearts, but he delights in those with integrity. Evil people will surely be punished, but the children of the godly will go free. A beautiful woman who lacks discretion is like a gold ring in a pig's snout. The godly can look forward for a reward, while the wicked can expect only judgment. Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. People curse those who herd their grain, but they bless the one who sells it in time of need. If you search for good, you will find favor, but if you search for evil, it will find you. Trust in your money and down you go, but the godly flourish like leaves in spring. Those who bring trouble on their families inherit the wind. The fool will be a servant to the wise. The seeds of good deeds become a tree of life. A wise person wins friends. If the righteous are rewarded here on earth, what will happen to wicked sinners? Proverbs 12. To learn, you must love discipline. It is stupid to hate correction. The Lord approves of those who are good, but he condemns those who plan wickedness. Wickedness never brings stability, but the godly have deep roots. A worthy wife is a crown for her husband, but a disgraceful woman is like cancer in his bones. The plans of the godly are just, the advice of the wicked is treacherous. The words of the wicked are like a murderous ambush, but the words of the godly save lives. The wicked die and disappear, but the family of the godly stands firm. A sensible person wins admiration, but a warped mind is despised. Better to be an ordinary person with a servant than to be self-important and but have no food. The godly care for their animals, but the wicked are always cruel. A hard worker has plenty of food, but a person who chases fantasies has no sense. Thieves are jealous of each other's loot, but the godly are well-rooted and bear their own fruit. The wicked are trapped by their own words, but the godly escapes such trouble. Wise words brings many benefits, and hard work brings rewards. Fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to others. A fool is quick-tempered, but a wise person stays calm when insulted. An honest witness tells the truth, a false witness tells lies. Some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the wise bring healings. Truthful words stand the test of time, but lies are soon exposed. Deceit fills hearts that are plotting evil. Joy fills the heart that are planning peace. 
No harm comes to the godly, but the wicked have their fill of trouble. The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in those who tell the truth. The wise don't make a show of their knowledge, but fools broadcast their foolishness. Work hard and become a leader. Be lazy and become a slave. Worry weighs a person down. An encouraging word cheers up a person up. The godly gives good advice to their friends. The wicked lead them astray. Lazy people don't even cook the game they catch, but the diligent makes use of everything they find. The way of the godly leads to life. The path, the, that path does not lead to death. Beautiful, beautiful readings. Just a couple of more minutes and we're done. Psalms 11 and 12. I trust in the Lord for protection, so why do you say to me, fly like a bird to the mountains for safety? The wicked are stringing their bows and fitting their arrows on the bowstrings. They shoot from the shadows at those whose hearts are right. The foundation of law and order have collapsed. What can the righteous do? But the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord still rules from heaven. He watches everyone closely, examining every person on earth. The Lord examines both the righteous and the wicked. He hates those who love violence. He will rain down blazing coals and burning sulfur on the wicked, punishing them with scorching winds. For the righteous Lord loves justice. The virtuous will see his face. Psalms 12 Help, O Lord, for the godly are fast disappearing. The faithful have vanished from the earth. Neighbors lie to each other, speaking the flattering lips and deceitful hearts. May the Lord cut off their flattering lips and silence their boastful tongues. They say, we will lie to our heart's content. Our lips are our own. Who can stop us? The Lord replies, I have seen violence done to the helpless, and I have heard the groans of the poor. Now I will rise up to rescue them as they have longed for me to do. The Lord's promises are pure, like silver refined in a furnace, purified seven times over. Therefore, Lord, we know you will protect the oppressed, preserving them forever from this lying generation. Even though the wicked strut about and evil is praising praise throughout the land. May your will may your will be done, God. Thank you for coming in today's uh, service podcast. Let's go ahead and pray the serenity prayer, please. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. Keep coming back. It's work because it's working. Right here. Fernando, alcoholic. We have a welcome chipped to a newcomer. Anybody coming in for the first time? How about a 30-day chip? 60-day. Do I hear 90 days? Six months. Nine months. In a year, now we'll trust you, so we'll give you a medal. 
Joey, alcoholic. I'll make this short, sweet, and simple uh, to the point. Um, I just kept coming to meetings. That's how I got sober. Um, and I got a sponsor, started doing some of the steps. And um, uh, I hit one year on Sunday. And, um, you know, uh, days just accumulate when you um, have a head full of AA and uh, a belly full of pizza and coffee. So um, I'm grateful and blessed to uh, to be a part of this fellowship and um, you know to uh, to trudge the road of happy destiny. Thank you for letting me share. Right. Right. Yeah. Get him a cupcake, Fernando. I am your uh, fill-in literature person for next couple weeks here. Um, for those of you that are looking for literature, we have a box in the back, and we don't pull it out of the box because every once in a while we get a gust of wind and it blows it everywhere, and I can't bend over anymore. So, anyways, if there's anything you need, I'll be glad to go through it with you. If you need a, a big book or 12 and 12, we'll talk to our treasurer. I'm sure we can work something out if you desperate need. Um, and if you are celebrating a birthday here at any time, all you need to do is let one of us know. I'm your cupcake person as well. I'll be more than glad to bring one every week for you for your birthday, and I appreciate it. Oh, my gosh. Um, I don't need this thing. I've got it up. I'm Dave, and I'm an alcoholic. Hey, Dave. Hey. Says a leader shares for ten minutes. I could share so, for two hours. Seventh tradition or no? Uh, it comes after, doesn't it? But I, uh, Mike's going to do the seventh tradition. <laughs> He'll be walking around with his uh, his little bag. So we are self-supporting through our own contributions. And uh, mm -hmm. I'm going to give you mine now, Mike. Yeah, that's perfect. I like to hit you up before you start talking. That way I get. I might decide after I started talking that I don't need this program anymore. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm Dave and I'm an alcoholic. And uh, congratulations, Joey. That's a, that is a huge milestone. You know, one year is, that's probably the hardest year of your life. You know, I don't know. Um, a little bit about me. I uh, come from an alcoholic family, like probably most of us. Um, my father was a fall-down drunk, would not take care of his family, didn't do any of the stuff that he should have done. And um, my mom did her best to keep me from knowing that. I was the last of six kids and never knew that we were four. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, as interesting is that um, I started drinking when I was a teenager, and I drank because of like most of us, I didn't feel a part of, you know, I was, I, I just didn't fit in, no matter what I did, I, I was never a good enough athlete, I was never a, you know, tough enough kid, I just, I was never comfortable in anything I was, and, um, and the first time I, first time I drank alcohol, all the inhibitions went away, I wasn't, 
I was a good athlete, I wasn't afraid anymore, all the things that um, I needed, they came right in that bottle of wine that we drank. And uh, it's like, wow, that's kind of kind of like that. And so every opportunity I could get, I worked at a liquor store, and so we all just, if I wasn't working, I'd just go in and buy it for one of the guys that was working. So it was, um, you know, it was, a, it was really good for about, oh, I don't know, maybe two years. And then I found this substance called cocaine and mixed it with alcohol. And uh, the, the old saying is that um, in the beginning it was fun, and then it was fun with problems, and then it was just problems. And, uh, you know, uh, I don't have all the horror stories that I hear in the meetings. I, I never went to jail. I never got a DUI. Uh, you know, my God, I destroyed my family. I destroyed my, my wife, my children. Um, you know, I just, you know, first off, I didn't know how to be a father. Um, I didn't know how to be a husband. I didn't know how to do any of these things. And I was real immature when I got here. And, um, you know, I was 26 years old when I got to the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. That was in 1986. And, um, <clears throat> you know, when I got here, um, I couldn't relate to you at all. And I didn't want to relate to you, probably was a better way of putting it. I didn't, I coming from an alcoholic family my dad was a fall down drunk he would come home and he would sit down on the coffee table and think he was sitting on the couch and uh, see that's not what I was you know I went to work every day and I paid some of my bills and I treated my wife with kindness once in a while and I didn't beat my kids and I didn't neglect my family and but I did I, I, I did I just didn't do it all the time so um, that went on for, oh, I got married at a very young age. I was 22 years old when I got married. And I had a, a one-year-old daughter. And um, like I said, I did not know how to be a father or a husband. And, uh, and it showed. So anyways, at 26 years old, I went through my first stint of outpatient rehab. And, um, I, you know, I was nowhere ready to come into this program. To, you know, I, I, I was still bullshitting the doctors and bullshitting myself. And what was funny is I wasn't really bullshitting the doctors. They knew all about it, but in my mind I was. So anyways, the, the first time it, I went to the outpatient treatment, it lasted three weeks. Um, and I just couldn't go. And what, what's funny is that the doctor that I was in the outpatient treatment, I said to him, I was playing in a softball league and we played on Tuesday nights and we were playing in a championship game. And I said, hey, our game's next week for the championship and I'd like to play. And he said, well, I'll make you a deal. You go to a meeting on Saturday night this week and you can go to your game next week. And I, and I laughed. I was like, where in the hell are you going to find an AA meeting on a Saturday night? <laughs> you know, that's, that's how much involved I was. And uh, so, anyways, I didn't go to a Saturday meeting, but I went to the softball game and I drank and got drunk that night and just started the whole ball rolling. So six months went by and it just went downhill from there, just one after another. So I went back into patient treatment this next time for 42 days. And once again, I was in there and saying all the right things and thinking I was doing the right stuff, but I was still that same arrogant ass. I mean, just, I, I, I could not hear what was being said to me and I 
I just did not want to, I didn't want to hear it. I didn't want to hear it. I wasn't ready to be sober. I wasn't ready to have to um, work on things that I never thought were a problem, but clearly were. So, <clears throat> 1987 comes and I'm, I'm been in treatment 42 days. I come out and I lasted six months. I got out in uh, August and I think about um, January, February, I started drinking again and it lasted another two years, two plus years. And um, it was like, I'd be dry for a month and then I'd be drinking again. And you know, I, I, had, I had the ultimate in jobs for an alcoholic. I drove a beer truck for a living. <clears throat> so I had an unlimited supply of alcohol. And you know, it was perfect for me because I could I could pop a beer right first thing in the morning and get myself ready to go to work, you know, and I'd go in and as soon as I get off I'd go in the hospitality room and drink beer with everybody and you know, what a mess it was. It was a mess and my life was a mess and my marriage was a mess. Um, you know my family, they all knew all about everything I was doing and I was trying to hide it and, you know, not doing a very good job of it. But, you know, go forward, um, 1989, um, end of October, I'm driving my beer truck down behind Rude Dog and Camina in the alley and as I go by Rude Dog, I was going to park behind it. Somebody at the, next door to the theater, one of the shops there, opened up their door, pushed a dumpster, and it hit the back of my truck and it scraped it. Well, we had a policy, you have to take a drug test. And um, I pulled in front of the, it, at the time I think it was called Mike's Place, and I uh, pulled in behind it and I walked in, I got out of my truck and I looked at that scrape and I thought, Psh. and I walked in the place and I had my head down and I was just beside myself. And I, and this is before cell phones. And I, I walked in and I called my boss and I said, Jerry, I said, um, I had an accident behind Mike's place. I said, somebody opened a dump, opened a door and pushed a dumpster into my truck as I was going down the alley. And I was, they hit the back of my truck. It, it was nothing I did, but I, you know, what it, it, it was what had to happen. It was that God shot, if you want to call it that. And you know, what's funny is my boss, Jerry and I had known each other for years. And he said to me, he said, hey, don't worry about it, Dave. He said, you just come in and you can go take a drug test and you know, we'll deal with it. And I said to him, I said, Jerry, I can't pass a drug test. For the first time in my entire life, I admitted I had a problem right then and there. All that friggin' shit that had sat on my shoulders for, you know, I, and I had a very short alcoholic life. I mean, probably less than 10 years, but, um, I carried that burden, you know, I carried that shame of not coming from an alcoholic family and, and, you know, my mom wanting better for me, you know, and being so upset that, you know, once again, I, I just like the rest of them, I had a problem with alcohol and drugs and, you know, my mom had lived through it with my dad and I felt a lot of shame and guilt and all the stuff that you have and, and it was, I never ever thought about any of that stuff, none of it, none of it and, uh, you know, the, it was weird. I, my company gave me six months of drug testing, mandatory random drug testing. And you know, <laughs> what was funny is I asked them to write me a letter so I could take the meetings, so that I would go to meetings. And she said, oh, you don't have to do that. I said, yes, I do. 
because I knew if they didn't force me to go to meetings for a reason, I wouldn't go. I knew, I knew that. I just didn't have any backbone to do things the way I should. And so I did it. I started going to meetings, and then I started picking up, you know, commitments, coffee commitment, uh, secretary at a meeting, a 12 and 12. And I, I did it at uh, Pomona uh, ADTC, the Alcohol Drug and Treatment Center in Pomona, which is no longer there. And I started going to meetings out there, and then going to meetings over here in West Covina, and uh, you know, and I had a, I had a sponsor, and then I had a second sponsor, and then I had a third sponsor, and you know, each time I, as as I progressed over the course of a year, two years, um, you know, I felt like I outgrew the sponsors. Not so much that I outgrew them, but I needed more, and and they weren't able to provide it for me. You know, my first sponsor probably had two years of sobriety. You know, and my third sponsor had 42 years of sobriety and he was 80 years old and he, he, he had a lot of life experience and he was a, a, a good man and he taught me a lot about being an adult and um, <clears throat> you know uh, all that all that stuff I'm gonna just move forward by a bunch um, I, um, I I was sober probably 20 20 years and you know, I went to meetings and, and I and I did the book studies and the 12 and 12s and and everything. And you know, my life was pretty good, but I never really, I never really felt a lot of relief about you know being sober. I I mean, you know, and I I just went on and lived life and went to meetings and stuff like that. And I just felt like I got I plateaued at about 20 years. And then about 10 years ago. Um, I started realizing that it's not so much about the drinking for me um, because I, I didn't have that urge to drink but there was something missing in my program for me and, um, and I started I started um, I went back to church um, and and started started understanding a little bit about what the program was trying to teach me you know it wasn't so much teaching me about God as much as it was trying to teach me to be spiritual you know and, and I have a friend of mine that he's um, 40 plus years sober now and you know um, the one thing he said to me and it's stuck in my mind over the last few years for sure is he said you know um, be grateful in this program um, be grateful for all the things that you've been given all the things that have been taken away from you all the people that have been put in your life, all the people that have been taken out of your life. And you know, what's funny is that um, when, when my gratitude and my spiritual thing come together, man, it, my life feels really good to me. And um, you know, I know, I know being sober for a long time, some people will look at it and say, you can be sober 32 years, but I don't want what you have. And uh, you know, I, in the last few years, um, my spiritual growth has been so much a part of my life, you know, as far as um, doing things for the right reasons and not, not being self-serving in a lot of the things, you know. I, I, I like probably most of us, um, as an alcoholic, I'm, I'm my, what does what my sponsor say to me? Um, I'm not much. But that's all I think about. And, um, you know, um, 
I go to meetings today and and I listen a lot because I need to be reminded every single day that the program of Alcoholics Anonymous works for me today as it worked for me 32 years ago. Um, but today, the things that I learn in the program today are very different than they were then. I, I wanted to just stop drinking back then. And today, I want some peace. I want some kindness. I want some direction. You know, all, all those things. And I, I want those in my life. And you know what? Um, the program allows me to have those every day. I get up and go to a morning Zoom meeting every morning at 6.30. And that's because I, I don't have 32 years of sobriety. I got 24 hours of sobriety and that's all I have. I have what I get today. And when I start my morning with a text from Les and my morning meeting, it makes my day so much better. And sometimes I'll talk to one of the people from the meeting. I, it, the one thing I've learned in the Zoom meetings is that it doesn't matter where you're from in the world because our meetings have got people from India and Uganda and, and England and Germany and stuff. And, 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 you know, the program works no matter where it is as long as I become involved in it. See, that's the thing for me is that for the longest time when I first got in the meetings is that I came around the meetings. And one day one of my sponsors said to me, why don't you go in the meetings instead of standing around them? And, you know, that's when the program started to work for me, when I started to become involved with it. And, um, you know, today I consider myself to be very, very lucky that the program of Alcoholics Anonymous still works in my life. You know, it works in my life when I come to the meetings and I listen to people share, whether you're new, you know. Um, Joey, I had a big smile on my face when you were sharing, uh, trudging that road to happy destiny. You know what, um, some days we trudge and some days we skip. And you know what, um, you were saying trudging, but I saw you skipping, buddy. So um, happy birthday and congratulations, and I'm good. Thank you. I don't know where I'm at. I'm bored putting you to sleep. I'm sorry. Um, how much time do I have? Do you know? So I don't know. It just pursued it. I had to go out and drink it, do some more experimental drinking. I'm I'm gonna get to the point that that took years and it progressed. And now I'm I drug my I went back and I drug my husband and I, I said we need to go back out. Come join me over here. And now we're doing all this adulting, uh, nightclubs and going to bars and places. His family, they're strippers and sisters, and so all this demoralizing. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, now I'm being introduced and all of this stuff. Our house became party central and, you know, it just became this alcoholic home and that just progressed forever, you know, and it slowly progressed. I didn't get into the rooms until the age of 43, but all of that got out of control. I was now running from home. I couldn't handle it. I was drinking. Uh, they tried to control my drinking. You can't stop, stop an alcoholic because they're going to go to any lengths to go get it. I was, I started running and gutting and now, you know, here I bought a, a Harley Davidson motorcycle with inheritance money and I got him to participate in that, to be the, the driver and I, I'd sit on the back and we were going to go bar hop and go to all these events and get drunk and, and um, got him into the biker scene. He didn't care for the biker scene. I pursued the biker gangs because <laughs> it just gets worse and worse and worse and so I started becoming, um, just drunk and just 
trying to fit in everywhere and now these people are taking and let's party together I'd initiate let's party together and let's ride together and those people though I didn't know at the time what I was pursuing but I know God was with me everywhere but my self-will was running right he was allowing me to do what I needed to do to get to where I am now you know to, to get to detox and those people I get so out of control they they were like prim and proper for for biter gangs they were fighting and stuff and things of that sort but they were teaching me respect and they were saying things like my husband that like we'll babysit her we'll take her and you know my husband started taking away the keys he's like pinky promise here we go to this biker event you behave yourself and it's like i pinky swear well by the end of the night i'm drunk and he's leaving me out palm spring at some biker event with all my friends you know it's just trouble after trouble i get into trouble I'm getting wanting to get junk because my mouth was running. I couldn't keep my mouth shut and I couldn't stop crying and being in self-pity. The bikers were even getting mad at me at the biker bars like telling me, Kathy, you just need to shut up. And so I was getting all of that before I even came into program with my self-pity and victim mentality. I was protesting my family saying, this is what they did. And they're doing that and this and this and that. I could never see it within myself. All I can know is you're out of control, Kathy. If you don't behave yourself, we're leaving here and we're going there. And it just was a continuous insanity pattern. Um, and, and they would talk to the husband. He's, he, uh, I would I'd ask for clothes and they'd come. You know, I'd be taking off. I'm, I'm couch surfing all over the place, abandoning my family. My son, you know, was young at the time. I don't even remember recalling, like, I was so selfish and self-centered that I just leave my family and I abandoned. Like, I knew I gonna run away and not come back I give them whatever they want and I just can't even remember what I even wasn't even conscious or even aware of what I was doing in my family um, I just thought oh you know I'm doing me and I'm good but <clears throat> it's a family disease and it does affect the whole family um, the biker said Kathy needs an intervention and this is the, that sort I said you're not giving me interventions you know I tried to like pursue <clears throat> Uh, going into like church you know they had like lion tamers there were support groups and you know celebrate recovery and things of that sort but I'd go intoxicated and they just try to counsel me and things of that sort and um, <clears throat> mind you in, in, oh, in my in my 20s they did assess me in that suicide attempt in the hospital but I talk myself out of it I cry myself out of it and I never got 5150 um, I said, I'll never do that again. Will I do that again? No, but I just never got stuck. I think their tolerance back in those days aren't as like what, what they are now to where you will get 5150 and, um, you know, or uh, the, the cops, the domestic violence at my home were involved, the Casino Police Department never arrested me. <clears throat> they just kind of like laugh, like, because my husband's covered in spaghetti and and were cut and my hair is pulled out and just craziness and they just like wow you're, just, you're nuts um thank god i didn't get arrested i didn't go to prison but now you know i was like i was ready you know i was searching and i was seeking out there because people were getting on my case about your drinking kathy and i'm like well i don't know how to stop you know because i was doing it every day I could not stop. I was getting the, shank, the shakes and the big book talks about everything. I relate to everything in there. The feelings, the emotions, 
Bill, uh, Bill W, and, and the tremors, and and I didn't know what they were. I'd be shaking. My husband's like, "Why are you shaking?" I'm like, "I don't know. Just give me a drink. I need a drink, you know." And um, if they try to not give me a drink, I'm, I'm off and running. I got to go get my medicine, you know. And I didn't know you could seizure, you could seizure without your medicine, your alcohol. I found out later in detox, you know. So. Um, they said, uh, Kathy, I was asking, how do I stop? You know, God started intervening out there with those biker friends. They're all, whoa. You know, I'd leave my car in Covina to go out to Chino, the bar hop with them. And I'd have to find ways, how am I going to get back to my car? And then people would say, oh, well, so-and-so will take you. Well, so-and-so who would take me happened to be in Alcoholics Anonymous. <laughs> and I'm asking, I'm now I'm searching because I want it. And I'm finding I need to get help and I want to not drink because it's not working anymore um, <clears throat> they would tell me through Alcoholics Anonymous um, you that's that's where you go um, and then I'd be on Facebook and, and things of that sort and I'd be drunk and, and in oblivion and in the garage and um, just intoxicated crying out for help I was always crying out for help um, or attention, but it's mostly cry out for help. They they knew, and then I'd be mocked on Facebook. But there was friends, friends in there that I had befriended <laughs> back from high school that I was so curious and wondering about how are they doing. So I befriend started my Facebook account and started getting a hold of all these friends, these old friends, and some of them happened to be in the program, and they started private me messaging me and started saying where I can go. And I didn't even know, like, this hospital that I've been living up the street has been waiting for me since the age of 10 <laughs> in order for me. And when I'm ready, Kathy, you need to go get help because we don't want to help you no more. We can't. Because when my husband would try to help me, stopping me, you're hog tying me. Um, you're getting beat. Um, which isn't pretty, you know, I go after my husband in, in an anger rage. I don't even aware what I'm, I'm not even aware of what I'm doing to the other person. All they know is it's all about me and you're hurting me. You're abusing me. And, um, I, I get hogtied in um, a horrible situation while my son's in a fetal position behind the TV. And then he's, he's manipulating, taking the window off the bedroom, um, window, making it look like he ran away when the poor thing is like in a fetal position behind a big screen TV, you know, his poor mama, he couldn't, he, my kids have seen so much that they shouldn't even see. Um, so I had to go get help. Um, husband had it. He packed his bags. He had already closed the bank account. Uh, 2009, I had lost my job due to my drinking because I'd show up intoxicated and drunk all the time and reeking of it. <laughs> I worked the graveyard shift um, and uh, calling out sick all the time. And they're all like, Kathy, why are you, what's wrong with you? Why are you calling out sick all the time? I'm like, I'm sick. Like if I knew, you know, about the employer in the book, you know, I could have said, maybe I have a drinking problem. I'm an alcoholic. I didn't know what I was, I didn't know what was going on. So um, I checked myself into a charter hospital and a detox to get locked up because I could not stop drinking. Um, I had no other options. Uh, I called them on the phone. I said, do you have a bed ready? And, and they've been waiting for me because they, they, they know about all my suicide attempts and things of that sort. So 
uh, I got detoxed in there and started witnessing a lot of like seizures and things of that sort from people detoxing. And that kind of scared me, you know. And so um, the AA panel came in um, and I started hearing about this story. And I had a relationship with God and I was told AA is, you know, you don't need that cult that's secular from my Christian friends. But then I, I, my antennas went up because they started talking about God and they started just talking about these prayers and their experiences. And once, once now, here I am, I feel a part of and these people understand me. That they, they share the same similarities. I wasn't looking at the differences, you know. Um, and uh, the counselors there said, Kathy, we're not releasing you out into the wild. You need to go into sober living or something. I said, I'm not going into sober living. I'm going back home. And, and that they didn't really want to recommend that, but I went back home. There was still partying and all of that sort of stuff to go, but then they said, uh, get a sponsor. You need to start going to meetings. I did outpatient for two months, but then they're all, get a sponsor, um, go to meetings, uh, and you need to start reading that big book. And I was desperate to where, okay, you know what? I am. I seen those promises on the wall in that format on the wall at the TLC in Covina. I cried my eyes out reading that thing over and over again. Like, really, I could have all of that? I'm like, what is this spiritual awakening as a result of these steps? I've been begging and praying God all my life. Like, because I, my prayers were back in the day, like, okay, God, where is this joy? You know, I, I, I just always lamentate to God, like, lamentation, like, where is this joy, God? Like, you want me to have that in your word? Like, I, cause I ain't feeling it. <laughs> everybody else is happy and I'm miserable I'm suffering I want what they have and I bring them down because misery loves company I hated it I envied it and and, and, and it's like ah now I can have it but I could work for it and, and apply it and practice it in, in an action what does it look like in an action because I'd always go I always go to the altar and I surrender crying to God I surrender what am I surrendering you know I had all these resentments and fears and, and it says repent and all this stuff. And it's like, what am I repenting of? <laughs> so God gives me this work. And this is just my own experience. Um, it gives me this spiritual awakening as a result of working these steps and practicing and living them to the best of my ability. Uh, there's a lot of resentment workshops that I had to go to because even in recovery, I struggled. I was still having a hard time with the family and I didn't comprehend or understand what was going on with all of that. So I had to learn what a resentment was. Then I had to learn what fear was and what surrender, what actual real true surrender, sincere surrendering is. And that was like having to let go of, I obsessed about my husband. I was still obsessing about what he was doing. And, and I was just like crazy obsessing about everybody else. I had to stop start working on those patterns and they said Kathy you know what the problem isn't your outside circumstances your problem is you what's going on inside of you and this is the work you need to do you're powerless and you're unmanageable your life is unmanageable <laughs> like oh I understand that and, you know I'd be ranting and venting and raging like coming to the park over here thank you less for these meetings starting these out because that park over there saved my life because every day I was bar hopping to get away over resentment to go drink myself to death all day long I'll bar hop. So what I did, I bar, I didn't bar hop. I meeting hopped all over the place all day long, just staying safe. And they're all, stay close, Kathy. They just kept saying, stay close, it gets better. 
And so, you know, these people helped save my life. And, um, sorry for the bore of the war stories my whole life. It's just interesting how God put me here in Covina, the bridey capital of the world. <laughs> I didn't know existed these rooms. These rooms have been here since the age I was 10. Nobody ever told me about that until I became willing and then asking and then I was shown. And, you know, ask, seek, and knock, and you will find. And then more will be revealed to you. I'm still learning. I'm just, it's been 10 years in my recovery and sobriety, and I'm still learning. And now I think I've just become teachable to rather sit here and listen to everybody. I didn't know what I was, I felt like I don't have nothing to give. I don't want to go into the battle. I don't, I, I started having this, and but this committee in my head, I had all these controversies and debates. It's like, I don't know what I'm going to share. God help me, you know, and here I am rambling on and um, cause it's been a while. I haven't worked with anybody in a while and I need this. Um, my son just got in a bad accident this week. A lot has occurred today and I'm sober and I could just show up and, and just pray, you know. Um, my car, my, I go to Al-Anon too now. I need Al-Anon. I, I said I need something more because <laughs> I need to keep this, you know. I don't want to lose it. So that's a whole other program they're teaching me how to um, just have peace, you know, and, and, and be more calm and relaxed and not be so crazy in the head. Um, there's always a solution I'm working. There's no cure for this sickness of, that I have. There's a solution and it's in that big book. It's in, it's in Alana. It's in all the books. And, it, and it's saving my life. My son was in a car accident. On Monday after uh, an Alana, I seen his car was like totaled. I'm like, oh my God, call me, you know, and um, he's in Fontana, <clears throat> and I was just like, oh my God, I'm like, thank you, God, I could be grateful that my son survived this car accident, it was a hit and run over there in, in uh, Riverside, a red Mustang came out, like a bat out of hell, nowhere, it was like a red Mustang, my son claimed that he was going about 90 miles per hour, and he just came out of nowhere and just plowed my son. And my son spun, and, and they both hit the divider. The, the other kid got messed up. He ran, you know, you know, scene of the accident. And um, I was able to just show up for my son, you know, take him to the ER and help him and sit there. And that same day, my mother-in-law, she, she had a mini stroke. So we're sitting in the ER, and get the news my mother-in-law had a mini stroke she's been in the hospital since she's been having strokes she's got blood clots so today they're just they're putting a stint and so you know my husband's dealing with that you know i've been through a lot with my husband uh there's been threats of like divorce and separation and all that stuff in recovery but i endured i just kept going to meetings and, and doing my program and not making any rash decisions and I complain, I cry, like I get full of anxiety and fear. And you know, you guys will comfort me and, and it'll just tell me it'll be okay. But now we're okay. I was able to go out last night, you know, with um, my husband and, and my grand my grandchildren, taking them to the bookstore, you know, for a reading and sit in a car. <laughs> like all throughout recovery, like the battles and the things, I, I, I could not sit in a car with my own husband without getting into a conflict. You know, and, and I stopped controlling. A lot of my problem was with my own family was playing God. I stopped playing God. 
you know I let God do his work I stay out of their way I stay out of my own way and I just work my program you know and, and it's in God's hands there's nothing that I haven't gone through that I have not overcome with God being there and um, I don't have to drink um, the obsession has been lifted as long as I don't take that drink the craving won't set off and <laughs> I'm back and running again I don't want to go back to that because it's just it stopped working so I'm just grateful to be here um, I try to do the best ability to get my happy dose and food but also I also what I do comprehend is um, we will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace and that's what I feel first time in my in my life and um, I just I'll just take it one day at a time and there's no graduating this program I want to keep and continue on on um, the spiritual um, path of recovery thank you